welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Well, one of the things that we have talked about for a number of years here at Oak Hills is this idea that church is not uh, even close to being just what happens on a Sunday or in a small group or in a class or in a journey program or in any other of the good ministries that we have. But church is this concept of stretching beyond the walls of this campus and getting out into the neighborhoods and into our workplaces and being the church, being salt and light and demonstrating the reality of Christ and his kingdom in those places. And it's always encouraging and helpful to hear stories from people who are in the process of of doing that. Holly, you can come on up if you'd like. And so on a regular basis, we're trying to find people as we listen and as we interact with with others, just folks who are having uh, experiments in their, in their homes, in their neighborhoods, in their workplaces. We hear these stories. We think they're encouraging for the rest of us as we think about what it looks like to be on mission in today's world. And so we've invited Holly Carlson to come and to share with us today. So welcome, Holly, Hello. to this strange setting. <laughs> um, but why don't you begin, for those that may not know you, just talk about a little bit about who you are and uh, how long you've been around and those kinds of things. Uh, I'm Holly. I have been at Oak Hills since before I was born. Um, um, I um, grew up in Eldorado Hills and moved to Folsom five or so, five or six years ago, and um, just bought my first house in Folsom, which is super exciting. And um, I've been part of the Oak Hills community my whole life, except for when I lived in Ecuador for a year and then some time in Wisconsin. So. Okay, so so as you know, one of the things we talk about, I just mentioned it, but this idea of being the church out in the community, and you mentioned you just bought uh, a house here in Folsom, and I know one of your values is to have your home uh, be a place of connection and ministry and to be present in your neighborhood in a way that, that honors God. So maybe talk a bit about that idea of home, neighborhood, place, and how that fleshes itself out in your life. Yeah, so I mean, that's a, a lot. And um, it's been a big part of what, where I feel like God's been leading me to make some changes in my life. And so um, um, I think it's all started from a shift from thinking about, I, I, I think there's a lot of conflict. It's very challenging to think about things as mine in a loving way. And so one of the big shifts that, that I've had and, and God's been working on me in is just thinking about the things that are in my life that benefit me, I'm, I'm a steward of them. So whether that's my house or my money or my family, um, my role in that is, is I'm a steward of these resources God's given me. So that changes the way I think about my house. Um, um, I still need my house to be a place of refuge for me and, and um, um, a place where I can restore for my work or for being a mom. But also I know that there's lots of people in our community who don't have safe places or, or places of comfort. Um, and, and I bought my, I actually closed on my house the day that all the schools shut down, oh, wow. Um, wow. <laughs> which is really fascinating how, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about this house as God's house that I'm the steward of and, um, trying to, um, just work that into how to do this in a pandemic. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's meant a couple things for me practically. Um, you know, 
I've always said if someone says they need a place to stay, I wouldn't, I would always entertain it, at least mm -hmm. entertain the can I. Um, right. And so twice people have asked for a place to stay and twice I, I've had roommates since then. Um, I have one now and then one left back in September. Um, and then um, um, because of the pandemic, a lot of people need places to meet with people mm -hmm. in safe settings. So I've had a small group meet in my courtyard. Um, some people have held some business meetings in my courtyard. Um, I set up a Lectio Divina station out on under my patio. So, people so maybe for those who don't know what that is, talk about what that is. Yeah, so um, Lectio Divina is kind of a, a, a way of reading the scripture that shifts from um, the intellectual like like analysis to allowing kind of making room for the Holy Spirit and that whole living and active part of scripture, letting, letting, this, letting what God has to say to me through the scripture affect me. So um, I set out some scripture, printed out some scriptures and then also some instructions on how to do that, which, you know, instructions and Lectio is kind of, doesn't mm -hmm. really work, yeah, but right. you know, I need those. But uh, <laughs> so I, I created a space um, that's kind of secluded and sheltered from the rain and let people have come and just um, prayed through um, scripture there on my porch. So, so you have this currently set up at your, it's outside? Yes. And it's kind of just an open invite for people who want to come by. And so it's a time for them to have with God, but right. you're making your home available for them to do it. Right, yeah, yes. That's awesome. And I've been to your house, so I know that when you talk about your courtyard, you have this outdoor space mm -hmm. where people can be far enough apart, et cetera, et cetera, but still have a sense of connected, connectedness and community. Yeah, and, and one of the neat things about this house, and I really feel like you know, God was involved in the finding and purchasing of this house because the, the majority of the space, um, the outdoor space in the house is in the front yard or in the courtyard, which is accessible mm -hmm. through the front yard. And so um, I, I see that as community space, even though I'm the, the steward of it and I have to you know, mow the lawn or mm -hmm. you know, try not to kill all the fish, which I did. In um, your little, I what do you call that? Koi pond, Quite, yeah. Koi pond. A lot of them died and it was my fault. But, um, you know, <laughs> it's, it's a learning process. Yeah, right. <laughs> but like this, this uh, it's right by the trail that goes down to the river. And so all these people are constantly walking back mm. and forth. And I wanted it to be a place, like a, a beacon in yeah. the neighborhood that says there is rest here. There is refuge here. Because um, I need that. Yeah. And right. I've had times in my life where I haven't had that. And so, and, and I know, you know, you can live in a home and not have that be a place of safety and refuge. Yeah. It, you said something interesting earlier because sometimes when this sort of subject comes up, you know, some of us are prone to the all or nothing yeah. scale of, oh my goodness, shut the garage, you know, lock the fence, lock the door, pretend you're not there because I need that refuge. And then others maybe think, well, if I'm going to do this, then I guess I have to give everybody a key and they come whenever they want. But you said an interesting thing when you started that uh, you make it available, at least for guests, mm -hmm. to stay, but you, you've said it in a way you're still thinking that through and going to decide if that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah, so I have spaces that are, like my Lectio station is available to anyone at any time, and that's out front. But my house is different. My house is where I, ha you know, I have to recover from my work. I have to be available to my daughter. Um, so just yesterday, someone asked me if I had a room for someone. And I 
entertained it and said, no, I don't. And you know, I'm, I'm also a psych nurse, um, uh, and so I know how to say no. That's something like, <laughs> I'm really good at setting yeah. those limits. And I know that yeah. that's not something everyone's able to do. But yeah. this, this, the beautiful <clears throat> thing is when, when you trust God, he is faithful. And I think the, the, the scary thing is we don't always believe that. So we have to like do it to mm -hmm. actually learn it. You can't right. just <clears throat> figure that out without doing it. Yeah. And, and it's, it's been beautiful, you know, it's been wonderful to watch that when I trust God that he's not going to, you know, put me in this situation that's absolutely horrendous because I said, here yeah. you are, God. That's good. Um, he's been faithful. That's great. So you mentioned that you were a, a psychiatric nurse. So you and I were having a conversation recently, and you're, you said something that stuck with me and, and remains with me. And, and what you said was, I have a 40-hour-a-week ministry at Kaiser. Yes. So talk about what that means. Um, so I think that where we spend our time says something about who we are. And many of us, a lot of our time is spent at work. For me, at least up until the last couple months, what that's meant is what I do during the day, what I'm paid for, is going out and actually being the hands. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going out and I'm, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm a psych nurse and a wound nurse, and a large part of my job is washing the, f the feet and legs of people mm -hmm. who have these wounds on their legs. And so I'm actually like kneeling on the ground in front of people all day, every day, washing their feet. And there's something really beautiful in yeah. that. And, and I, I know that by doing that, I bring the peace that I have from God with me, and I'm able to gift that to people, even if they don't know what that is. Um, and then the last couple months, I've been spending more time in the office, and I've learned that, I've, I've been learning that it's the same thing there. So we have all these people struggling through a pandemic. What they need is they need peace, they need comfort, they need hope. And I, I'm not the giver or taker of hope. It's not all on my shoulders. Mm -hmm. But if I have hope, I can share that. Yeah. And so we've, I mean, just in the, in the few months we've been in the office, we've implemented some practices where we're actually teaching people deep breathing, um, ways of calming down and centering and being able to be with their patients. I've been working with some of the office staff who don't feel valued and helping them kind of understand that they're part of, an essential part of what we're doing in caring for the world. Um, and all this is outside of a... Christian yeah. organization. I mean, right. it's not a Christian organization, right. but we're doing the work of God because we're, we're, whether I'm actually helping a patient or whether I'm helping a staff member who needs um, to find some purpose in their life, you know, that's, that's ministry. Yeah. So just last thing, how do you, <clears throat> you know, people have, they have careers, whether they, the career be in the home or outside the home. So there's this, the kind of daily routine, the daily activities, the vocation that they have, wherever it may take them. What would be an idea you would have <clears throat> to help people get into that space of this is ministry, this is where God has me? How do you cultivate that when the alarm goes off, and I got to chase this around. And before you know it, it's 1 o'clock, and the last thing you've thought of at all during the day is anything to do with ministry, but just kind of survival. So is there some ways you found to enter into that ministry mindset or ministry heart or God is present heart that, that could be helpful for others? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think one of the things I've always been taught, and my dad taught me this, and, and it's been reinforced through the different things I've been at, is how you start your day matters. And so one of the practices that I've started is there's just a, like a Bible reading app called like Lectio 365. Mm -hmm. And I do that every morning, and it's as important as brushing my teeth. Um, like no matter what, I'm not going to walk out of the house without brushing my teeth. Mm -hmm. And so that's, um, you know, I, I, I know sometimes we make all these commands. I'm going to do this quiet time. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to pray. But sometimes we just don't do it. But this, this app was something I was able to put in place that always just, it starts my day thinking about where is God's role in my life. Um, so I think finding something like that that you actually can do, that's possible to mm -hmm. do, and then acknowledging I'm not going to go out into the world with bad breath. I'm also not going to go out yeah. into the world without preparing my heart for that. That's great. That's um, I great. think that's a, a good tool. And then just think, thinking about it. Yeah. Thinking about what I do, who I am matters at work. You know, when I'm yelling at my kid and I have the windows open and my neighbors can hear. Mm -hmm. Like all these things, they count. Yeah. And, 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 and that's okay. It's okay to be broken and screwed up and, and you know, not be good at this. Yeah. But when you recognize that, you can start working towards what is God calling me to do in my life. That's great. Well, I'm wondering if you would be willing to pray for uh, people who may be watching, uh, obviously, the stay-at-home order and all the stuff that happens with the pandemic. It's affected jobs. It's affected neighborhoods. It's affected families. So would you mind praying for those who are watching? Yeah. God, thank you for meeting us here today. And... Um, for where we're at in our homes. Um, I just lift up all the people who are home who don't want to be or who are in a place who, where it does not feel like home. May you bring them comfort and peace. Um, help us to navigate what living out your will looks like in the middle of this pandemic, how we can be good stewards of um, keeping people safe, but also taking care of physical and, and spiritual and emotional needs of the people in our community. Um, may you give us insight and wisdom. Um, for those of us who work or what we do, for what we do on our regular daytime, will you please just help us to be aware that you are there too and that you are calling us to a life of honoring you and that um, your kingdom exists in our workplace and when we shop and when we're with our kids and, and will you just... Um, uh, call us into you and into your life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Holly. I had a dentist appointment on uh, this past Monday, and during the dentist appointment, as it was coming to an end, the dentist told me I needed to make an appointment with an endodontic. I'd never heard of an endodontic, but it sure sounded scary. An endodontic, as I discovered, does root canals. So I called the endodontic, and I scheduled a consultation last Tuesday morning. Went to the dentist on Monday, called the endodontic on Tuesday, or on Monday afternoon, and I went to an appointment on Tuesday morning for a consultation. I arrived, I filled out what seemed like a ton of paperwork, and I sat in the waiting room and I waited to be called. And while I was sitting there, I noticed a plaque on the other side of the waiting room sitting on a coffee table, and it said, relax. And then there was this definition of relax, which I thought was nice. But in an endodontics office, also a bit ominous. 
While I was continuing to wait, I looked up the verse of the day in my little Bible app on my phone, and I believe the verse of the day on Tuesday is the same verse of the day today, oddly enough. It's Romans 12, 12. You can actually see it in your uh, app if you're following along. I will tell you, if you opened the app earlier and it stayed open, it might say Romans 9, 12, and it'll be some goofy verse, but if you refresh it or get out of it, it's actually Romans 12, 12, and uh, it's all right. It's in there correctly now. But Romans 12, 12 says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. So I'm sitting in this waiting room, and I'm reading, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction. That seemed to have some relevance. Faithful in prayer. I thought that was nice. But again, in an endodontics office, maybe a bit ominous. Well, finally, I was called to the front desk, and the nice lady showed me the possible charges I would incur for the day's visit. She said, this is what your insurance is going to cover. This is the cost of the consultation. This is the cost of the root canal. And I kind of put my hands up. I said, hold on a second. I'm only here today for a consultation. I haven't even spoken to anybody yet. I wasn't planning on any root canal today. And the nice lady said, oh, if it's determined you need one, we've set aside plenty of time today for you to get one right here today. And I said, well, wait a second. I need to get my game face on if I'm going to get a root canal today. I need to go to my car. I got to get my helmet. Got to get my shoulder pads out of the car. So I'm ready for this big root canal. Well, a few minutes later, the endodontic was chiseling and digging and grinding away in my mouth and ruining my day. But a strange thing happened as I was enduring his drill in his chair. Throughout the time, I kept returning in my mind to Romans 12 and verse 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And somehow, right there, in the midst of an unplanned and rather unpleasant root canal, God was present and there was hope. What I experienced in that chair is metaphor for what we have all experienced since COVID barged through the front door of our world nine months ago. It's unplanned. It's unpleasant. No one wanted this. And each day, each week that goes by, we are anxious for it to be over, but it just keeps on going. Romans 12, 12, be joyful in hope, faithful or patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. The other day I looked up the meaning of a word that I have always appreciated and liked. It's the word absurd. It means wildly unreasonable, illogical, or inappropriate. One synonym of absurd is unsound. It seemed wildly unreasonable, blatantly illogical, terribly inappropriate, and rather unsound to get a root canal when I was expecting just to have a consultation. Life can at times seem absurd. There are those, you may be one of them, I count myself to be one of them, who routinely sense and feel the absurdity of life's routines and requirements. Just think about what's happening right here today, this morning. I'm talking in a big room that's got about seven or eight people in it, 
and I'm looking back at this camera that is on a wall, and you're sitting in your home, maybe in your underwear, or whatever, sipping coffee, eating oatmeal, maybe following the worship, maybe praying along with who's ever praying, maybe sort of listening to this message while also watching the football game, or maybe listening to this and being part of this while yelling at the dog or having an argument with whomever else is in your house. And yet we call this a worship service, and it is a worship service. But there's also in this format a kind of absurdity to it. It seems a bit unreasonable. It seems a tad illogical. It's really hard to stand and look back at this camera and not just smirk at unexpected times. This all may seem a bit unsound when you think about it. Life can sometimes be absurd. And in these difficult and confusing times where we are all fatigued by this pandemic or exhausted by the sufferings of life or concerned about an uncertain future or disappointed over a recent decision or angry about masks or about protocols or about our state's governor, hope might seem absurd. And that's what we're talking about today. Hope in the midst of absurdity. Hope when it seems irrational to hope. Hope when it feels unreasonable to hope. And I want to go back and reread a portion of what Dave and Peggy read to us earlier from Luke chapter 1. I'm going to reread verses 31 through 37. You know the story. The angel comes to give Mary this most amazing news. And he says to her, starting in verse 31, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Talk about absurdity. Mary was an unmarried teenage virgin, maybe 15 years old, something like that. She was Jewish. She was living in a land that was occupied by the mighty Roman Empire. She was poor. Her life was hard. Her life was predictable. And there wasn't much of a chance it would ever be much more than a mundane exercise in scratching out an, an existence may be occasionally interrupted by a brief encounter with joy. But one day an angel appeared and said, Mary, you're going to conceive and give birth to a son. You're to call him Jesus. He will be great. He'll be called the Son of God. He will be a king like Israel's greatest king, David. He will reign over Israel forever, and his kingdom will never end. Huh? Talk about absurdity. Given who Mary was, the circumstances of her life, this news from this angel was complete absurdity. It was, in the definition of the word, wildly unreasonable, illogical, 
inappropriate. It was unsound. But there's even more. The angel said, here's how it's going to happen. The Holy Spirit of God will come over you, and by his power, you will conceive so your child will quite literally be the son of the living God. What you say? I mean, this is absurdity with rocket boosters on it. The math doesn't work. The biology doesn't work. The logic doesn't work. People who go around making statements like this angel made to Mary are quickly called crazy. They're unstable. Here's that word again. They're unsound. They need meds. But there's more. Elizabeth, your aging, unable to have children relative. Yeah, her. She's pregnant too. Why? And then this little thing that Luke inserts. Because no word from God will ever fail. This unspectacular 15-year-old named Mary hears this announcement from this angel and says in language that is wonderfully authentic, at least it feels wonderfully authentic, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Now, she's not parroting some religious response her parents crammed into her head. She hears this ridiculously absurd news and she says, so be it. I believe it. And I will humbly do my part in it. And I would suggest this was her response in the face of such incredible absurdity because she knew God in a personal and intimate way. She knew God could do the impossible. She knew God often did the unexpected. She knew the story of her people Israel, and when she looked back at the story of her people Israel, she knew God often did the unexpected. She knew God's plan was often, if not most of the time, unpredictable. She knew that when life seemed, here's that definition again, wildly unreasonable, illogical, inappropriate, unsound, God was present. God was able, and very often, God was on the move. And because God was actually God, big, creative, unpredictable, uncontainable, indescribable, unfathomable, it was wildly reasonable, logical, appropriate, and sound to have hope even in the midst of absurd circumstances. When we take a step back and examine the difficult reality of our own lives and experiences, when we think about the things that we've endured or that have happened to us or that we're going through right now, or when we read or see the hardships, the injustices, the pain, the disappointments, and the sufferings of so many in this world, let's just say the words out loud, hope seems absurd. Hope hardly makes sense. It's one of the little secrets some Christians carry around and try not to let anyone else know about. 
Life has dulled our hope. Believe in God, yes. Trust in Jesus, I think so. But hope? Life has dulled our hope. Absurdity, in other words, has won. So during Advent, here we are celebrating the arrival of Jesus into this world. But what does that actually mean for a world bending under the weight of so much pain? What difference does Advent actually make, especially this year, given all the things we continue to deal with and given the weight that we're bending under. Well, today, in the admitted absurdity of this venue, as I look into this camera in this practically empty room, I want to say, because of who God is, because his word never fails, because his resume is filled with the unexpected, because he's present with us, like a loyal friend who never abandons us, and because he remains king over everything, hope is wildly reasonable, logical, appropriate, and ridiculously sound. Because God is God, hope makes sense. Don Simpson is a spiritual director and writer, and he tells the story of a heart attack he had at the age of 50. And he ended up in the emergency room, hooked up to various devices, nurses and doctors running all over the place trying to figure out what to do. And he laid there watching all of the chaos over the top of his oxygen mask. Listen to how he, he describes this experience. Now, this is a Christian guy. He says, is this where I will die? In this pale green room, does the ER staff do all they can for you here? And suddenly the monitor flatlines, and then they walk down the hall tired and defeated as they do on TV? I wondered, where is the presence of God? Does he inhabit a place like this? Or does he only inhabit church buildings? How earnest has my relationship with God been lately? Is God angry with me? Is he punishing me? Do I love God? Is there even a God? He goes on, of course, my Christian faith told me a different story, but when it came right down to it, I was an atheist. The EKG specialist broke my troubled reverie. You got to remain still, he called out as he tried to get a good reading on his machine. My breathing was too hard. I was frightened and in greater pain than I imagined ever existed. Finally, a young bearded doctor appeared in my view and bent down close to my face. He quietly said two or three sentences, but in the midst of all the noise, I heard only these words. The Lord is with you. Immediately, my eyes came to focus on his eyes and locked there for a brief moment that seemed like an eternity. I was totally astonished and strangely set at ease. Here we were in this pale green room with a lot of commotion, and I was in the darkest depths of atheism, and suddenly God showed up. Thank you, I said, and then the doctor went out of my view. Romans 12 and verse 12, be joyful in hope, Patient in affliction, faithful 
in prayer. I spent some time this week just dwelling on this verse. A lot of the dwelling was while I was sitting in the endodontics chair. And it occurs to me, hope, affliction, and prayer. The three focal points of this verse, hope, affliction, and prayer, are often attached to circumstances that do not resolve quickly or how we want them to. So we hope. But what we are hoping for usually takes time to be realized, sometimes a really long time, and sometimes it's never realized. We experience affliction. And sometimes the affliction lasts a long time. Sometimes it lasts a lifetime. We pray, but our prayers seem to go unanswered, or at least they're not answered the way we want them to be. And yet, Paul says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Why does he say that? It seems, our word again today, absurd. What's he getting at? Well, verses like Romans 12, 12 remind us that as Christ followers, we are always standing in the doorway of another world, another reality, ultimate reality, the reality of God's kingdom among us in this present time. This is exactly what Holly was getting at when she was talking about being at Kaiser Permanente for 40 hours a week, being in the office and recognizing in those moments, God is present, therefore, this isn't just a job. Constantly standing in the doorway of another world, and this other world is the kingdom of God, and it is ultimate reality. When Jesus says in Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God, he is not prescribing a religious painkiller for the harsh realities of this life. He is directing us to what is actually real, to what is actually true. He is directing us to the reality of God and to the reality of his kingdom in the midst of whatever it is we are facing. We are on the threshold of another world. And I don't mean by this, we die and then we go to heaven. I mean by this, we're alive and we go to heaven. We're alive and we begin to live a heavenly kind of life right now in the midst of whatever we're dealing with. Eddie Hillisum was a young woman from Holland who wrote these words in 1943. She writes, you have made me so rich, O God, please let me share your beauty with open hands. My life has become an uninterrupted dialogue with you, O God, one great dialogue. Sometimes when I stand in some corner of the camp, my feet planted on your earth, my eyes raised upward toward your heaven, tears sometimes run down my face, tears of deep emotion and gratitude. At night, too, when I lie in my bed and rest in you, O oh God, tears of gratitude run down my face, and that is my prayer. Things come and go in a deeper rhythm, and people must be taught to listen, she writes. It is the most important thing we have to learn in this life. And she wrote this, believe it or not, when she was a prisoner at the Auschwitz death camp. 
shortly before her own death. And it is an amazing example of hope in the face of absurdity and in the face of pain. It's a stunning example of hope inspired by her awareness of another world, not the world she would enter after she died, the world she was now living in before she died, the reality of the kingdom of God, ultimate reality. She stood in the doorway of this other world as she stood in the bloodied dirt of Auschwitz. And she stood there, believe it or not, filled with hope. You see, because of who God is, hope makes sense. Hope is rational. And hope is sound.